Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Been a lot of talk about Joe Biden on Air Force One, and rightfully so. Because Joe Biden didn't look good on Air Force One. Joe Biden looked like a guy who was lost on Air Force One. Now, I did see some people call him disheveled, and I'm like, I I didn't think that was the case. And I don't think we should say things that aren't because you don't like a guy. I think we should discuss what is. And what is, is, is that Joe Biden didn't look disheveled. Joe Biden looked like Grandpa, who had just woken up from his nap on Thanksgiving, wondering if there was any, you know, just a little bit of leftover turkey and stuff, just a little something. And then he'll go back to taking his nap on the Barker Lounger. That's what he looked like. That's who he is. Even when he was there with Benjamin Netanyahu, and he's sitting there and they're uh, talking about what's going on, and 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 you heard him, you heard him re- repeatedly try and, you know, vocalize a, a, a level of, of support, and it just didn't sound strong. Does this sound strong? Justice must be done. But I caution this while you feel that rage. Don't be consumed by it. After 9-11, we were enraged in the United States. While we sought justice and got justice, we also made mistakes. I'm the first U.S. president to visit Israel in time of war. I've made wartime decisions. I know the choices are never clear or easy for the leadership. This, by the way, bragging about visiting Israel in in wartime, maybe it's your lack of leadership that led to it. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. 833 got Tony. 833-468-8669. That's the number. 833-GOT-TONY. Maybe this isn't a place where you should be like, I don't know, cheering that. Maybe it should be known that it is indeed you who are the issue. Your lack of leadership, your inability to lead. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's it. But your argument is, don't, 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 don't do too much. We, we made plenty of mistakes. You don't want to be us, though, do you? He didn't sound like a leader. He didn't look like a leader. And on Air Force One, I, 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 would, I would blame the audio. I really, really would. Except this is, this is the, indeed the issue. He's weak and he is frail. And a lot of people took notice of him answering questions on Air Force One. And he just sounds completely disconnected. Uh, Mr. President, how the hospital, sir? People all over the region um, are upset about the hospital and don't necessarily believe uh, you or the Israelis that they didn't have any idea that you have a message to the people in the streets right now. Well, I can understand why in this circumstance they wouldn't believe 
understand that. And, but uh, I would not notice I don't say things like that unless I have faith in the source in which I've gotten it. I'll give him due. He's saying, look, the sources tell us that this hospital bombing nonsense didn't come, it wasn't Israel. It wasn't Israel, which of course we knew because we were paying attention to the data. Of course, people like Rashida Tlaib didn't care. They're still blaming Israel. Of course, there's an unlimited number of sources, media and otherwise, that want to blame Israel immediately. Also, I, we're learning now a hospital didn't actually get hit. Parking lot got hit. Maybe the hospital took some damage, but we don't see any video of the destroyed hospital. Why not? Because maybe it didn't happen. Maybe it was indeed Hamas where a rocket hit near the hospital. They kept saying 500 people killed. What? Right away, 500 people killed. Iran put it out as 1,000 people killed. And then you're like, wait a second. There's an issue here. And then you realize, nope, this was a Hamas rocket that misfired. This is a Hamas rocket that misfired. And he at least did say that, as, as he said uh, to Netanyahu uh, while he was in that meeting with him. It looks like uh, that is something that came uh, from the other team. I believe that's, that's the terminology he used. This was it right here. And based on what I've seen, it appears as though it was done by the other team, not, not you. He still does not sound like a guy you have faith in. Now, it's interesting. I don't think you have to have the strongest voice in the world to be an effective leader. I don't. But when you sound like you're half asleep and you look like you're half asleep, when you have so many problems completing the sentence, people will talk. We've done enough talking. We know that Joe Biden's not okay. We know that Joe Biden is an old man. And even though he's going to address the country tonight, oh, a primetime address from the Oval, literally have no clue what's, what's about to come. Prime, will he tell his party they're wrong? Will he say, hey, to the Jew-hating bigots of the Democrat Party, would you cut it out already? Hey, Rashida Tlaib, what the hell is wrong with you? I don't know. I'm, I'm going to say I doubt it. I'm going to doubt that one right there, that that's not going to happen. What's he going to do? Tell us that supporting Israel is just the same as supporting Ukraine? I know there are people who believe that. Uh, America doesn't believe that. America sees them as very, very different, different things. I believe in giving the dollars to, to Ukraine. Let them buy bullets. Give them bullets. Push uh, Vladimir Putin back. Absolutely. Oh, this isn't our war. We shouldn't pay any attention. You want Russia on the on the border of more NATO nations. I think that's a weird play, man. I think it's a weird, bad play that has no forethought, no foresight whatsoever. But Israel is different. This is a this is going to be seen as different. Starting with there are American hostages. What's the plan? We're going to leave them to die, just like we left Americans to die in Afghanistan? 
couldn't figure out how to withdraw from Afghanistan to keep our people safe. That also was Joe Biden. Undeniable fact, on Joe Biden's watch, things have gotten violent. Afghanistan, Ukraine, Israel. That's Joe Biden's watch. That's Joe Biden's society. It is what it is what it is. It's not, we're not in the place of of denying anything, are we? Because that would be really weird if we were in the place of denying anything. Joe Biden on Air Force One continued the conversation in America that he is a doddering old fool. And that even though he has said some very solid things regarding Israel and Israel's safety and security and the relationship between the United States and Israel, that's great. That's what he said. Who knows what he'll actually follow through on? I mean, am I to trust a guy who talks about Israel has the right to exist? Israel has the right to defend itself. Israel should defend itself. And then in the same breath does this. Today, I'm also announcing $100 million in new U.S. funding for humanitarian assistance in both Gaza and the West Bank. Oh. Oh. Okay. $100 million for Gaza. You understand. You, you understand that that's going to end up in the hands of terrorists. No, it would only be humanitarian aid, sure, because it's going to get exactly where it's going. Of course it will. Of course it will. How could you think otherwise? What? Is Hamas going to stop it? Yes, that's exactly, that's exactly what's going to happen. That's exactly what's going to happen. Why'd you ask? Hamas is going to take the food. Hamas is going to take the medicine. This is what's going to happen. And everybody knows it except Joe Biden, who somehow thinks, somehow thinks that this isn't providing comfort to both sides. You're playing both sides. No, no, no. Hostages come back when Hamas gives them back because we cut off the food, we cut off the water, we cut off the electricity. I shouldn't say we. Israel has. You understand that, right? Israel said we'll turn everything back on when you return the hostages. They don't care about their people. Rashida Tlaib yelling and screaming like an absolute freak. Crying like a ch- uh, Maybe you missed it. Maybe you missed the Rashida Tlaib crying like a child. Continue to watch people think it's okay to bomb a hospital with children. You know what's so hard sometimes is watching those videos and, and the people telling the kids don't cry and like let them cry. And they're shaking, and somebody, you know this, they keep telling them not to cry. That's what they're telling all those parents and all those kids who lost their parents in Israel. It's okay to cry. You just lost your whole family. But it wouldn't happen 
if Hamas gave back the hostages, because Israel said it wouldn't happen, and Israel doesn't owe uh, Gaza water or food. Hamas, their governing body, owes them water and food, but doesn't give a damn about these people. I wonder if Joe Biden will say that, because that would engage clarity. That would be something to hear. I don't expect much from him in this primetime address. I expect him to screw it up. But it should be noted. It should be noted from this Air Force One return where he decided to speak to the press. This guy is old. This guy is mostly incapable. And no one should think that his strong words are going to result in strong action. Only the proof of the strong action matters. I have no faith in this man at all. But that's just me. I'm Tony Katz. So I assume by now you kind of figured out that 8% is going to be considered uh, a dream on a mortgage in about another year. Maybe less. Because these mortgage rates are only going up. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. 833-468-8669. 833-GOT-TONY. That's the number. That's how you get to be a part of the show. It's, it's, it's good like that. You should, you should actually do that. Find everything, of course, at TonyKatz.com. Um, this is where we're at, people. This is where we are at. You take a look at where the markets are right now. The Dow is up 57. The NASDAQ is up 29. Maybe that's because the Fed has said we're not so keen on raising interest rates. But Jerome Powell, chairman of the Federal Reserve, inflation is still too high and lower economic growth is likely needed to bring it down. Slowing down the economy. Okay. But when I take a look at the 10-year... I note that it's at 4.955. That's not the high, by the way. The high was 4.989. This thing will crack 5%. Why does that matter? This is the benchmark as we've been talking about. And this benchmark, when this benchmark crosses 5%, mortgage rates will go to 8.5%. Because right now, a 30-year fix is at 8. The spread between the 10-year benchmark and mortgage rates, I believe, is 310 basis points. 3.1%. Each 100 basis points is 1%. This is where we're at. You want to talk about housing issues and housing affordability? Well, it's not. It is not affordable, and it will continue to be unaffordable. This is not in any way, a good place to be. And Jerome Powell is talking about being in a a new phase of the economy, talking about um, how how we we, we see things uh, playing out. This this was Jerome Powell. Is in all of the advanced economies around the world was a period where 
the effective lower bound, the proximity of interest rates, risk-free interest rates to the effective lower bound, which is zero or a little bit less, was a big problem for monetary policy. And, and just rates came down and down and down. And the problem is, if, if rates are going to be close to zero in good times, then how do you cut? And so has, have central banks lost the power of their most important tool, which is interest rates? This was a subject of, of, a, of a vast literature in monetary policy research. And most common is some kind of a makeup strategy. So you would credibly promise to, to run inflation a little bit hot and above 2%, and that would anchor inflation at 2% to counter the times when it was below. So that was a very serious problem, which filled books worth of research. Then comes the pandemic. Then comes the response to the pandemic. And then comes the pandemic inflation, not just in the United States, but everywhere. The question is, is that a secular change? Or are these, these factors that brought us to that place, are they still out there waiting to come back? And, you know, books are written on this subject now. You, you can argue that, uh, and some have argued, that, that effectively the last 20 years before the pandemic were kind of a perfect storm of disinflation. And now that's all gone and we're going into a more inflationary period that will be characterized by more supply shocks and things like that, and therefore more, more inflationary pressure. Yeah. So are we going into such a, I, I don't know. I mean, all, all I can tell you, it, I think it's unknowable and, you know, great theorists and researchers have different views on this. It's not, it's not something you can settle in advance. We'll have to see. I think our, our issue is right now trying to achieve a sufficiently restrictive stance of, of policy, policy to bring inflation down to 2% over time. That's what we're really focused on. Whenever we're so glad that you're focused on two percent inflation, we're not going to see it for a while. We're right now at that three point seven, and you're 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 telling me you don't know the future. You're just saying, yeah, we hope. But if interest rates have to keep going up because you have to keep figuring out ways to cool this inflation. I don't feel good. I'm, I, look, I don't claim any expertise on investing. I'm really not the guy. I think I've said this a million times. Do not listen to me at all when it comes to investing. Don't do it. But I, I, I've reached out to a couple people and I think I, I, I question everything. I, I question, uh, if interest rates are going to be this high, how is my money just not in money markets? Shut your mouth and just do that. What are you even playing around for? I won't even look at a 401k. I don't know about you. It's the saddest damn thing I ever did see. The saddest thing I ever did see is, is that 401k. I'm going to tell people, don't invest in that. No way. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to to me uh, uh, on this. I have no idea whether you should or you shouldn't. What I know is, I don't like where things are going. I don't like things are how things are feeling. I'm very glad I didn't buy that house. I almost bought a house like like four months ago, but the rate would have been seven percent. A man, oh oh, seven percent. You got in early. Oh no, I think we're in the hunker down phase. Academia is broken. We've seen that. With all these schools that can't figure out how to engage some moral clarity with their students. 
William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, will join us next. Exactly how bad is it? This is Tony Katz today. It's not surprising at all. Academia is broken in the United States, and we know this because we on the political right have ceded academia to the political left. We decided we shouldn't pay attention anymore, and we did this for years. And as more and more people told us, you're only a fully-fledged human being. If you have a college degree, we allowed more credence to the idea that whatever the college was doing must be right because you had to have the degree in order to get out there, in order to have a career, in order to have a life. Guys, welcome to the show. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything going on at TonyKatz.com. But academia is broken. And as we have watched this terrorist attack from Hamas, a terrorist organization, the murder of 1,400 Israelis, the capture of American citizens and others, 199 hostages that we know about by Hamas, and we look at the response on college campuses everywhere, and then we look at the inability, the unwillingness to confront students by these university presidents and others, whether it's University of Pennsylvania or Harvard or the University of Indianapolis right here in my beloved uh, Indianapolis. The first statement from the Indiana University president, Pam Witten, and others. There was an inability to engage the concept of moral clarity. How in the world... Does that happen? William Jacobson joins us right now, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. It was on your campus, sir, where there was someone saying how exhilarated they were by the Hamas terrorist attack. You have been a first-hand account of this. You have discussed things going on at Cornell. You have engaged in the legal battles regarding Oberlin College in, in, in Ohio uh, on free speech conversations and a series of other things. You have watched this play out. First, it, it's a two-parter. Forgive me for, for stacking a question on you. Number one, when did it start? And number two, when did you realize it was out of hand? Well, it's been going on for a long time. When it started is a little hard to pin down. I can certainly say that I have seen this coming, although I didn't realize it at the time, since the early 1980s when I was a law student at Harvard. And a lot of the people who were leading activists were students and they went on to academia. So it's been a long time coming. You know, there's that saying that collapse happens uh, gradually, then suddenly. We're in the last two to three years, really post-George Floyd in the suddenly phase of things. Things have been coming for a long time. The sort of antics that we're seeing from this professor at Cornell, he's been doing that for a number of years. That's really not out of keeping for him, although this, I think, was probably worse than usual. The you know hatred of the United States, the uh, view that we're an occupier of the U.S. and that Israel is the occupier. This has all been percolating for one to two to three decades, but I'd say it's really post-George Floyd when people became emboldened, when all of the crazy things they always wanted to do, um, they did, and they had compliant administrations and they had compliant corporations and compliant, for the most part, government. So let me stop you. 
for a moment and and forgive the interruptions, but I really want to drill down when you say some of these things. You you just said they're doing the things they always want to do. In your view, what did they always want to do? They want to, in their words, deconstruct things. They want to deconstruct the country. They hate the United States. Deep down, they hate the United States. They hate capitalism. They think socialism slash Marxism slash communism is the answer. Uh, Of course, it's that no one's actually ever done true socialism, but of course they have. I mean, we have a long history of of that. And and so uh, they they don't like our capitalist system, although they benefit from it and they get healthy salaries from it. They don't like uh, our support for the West. They don't like Western civilization. They view Western civilization as somehow uniquely evil, and we are uniquely evil in the world. So we're evil because of slavery, and they disregard the fact that slavery at the time we had it was common around the world, including common around the world for non-European entities or non-European cultures. They view Israel as particularly evil because Israel is essentially an implant in their world. Uh, And so it's really the Iranian formulation of the U.S. as the great Satan and Israel as the little Satan. And that's that's their worldview. But we, they we, we get it to differently. They express it different ways and they don't necessarily express it the way I just said it. But that is what they're getting at. We, we talk about how this happened. And certainly as as we have discussed uh, the idea of what's going on in, in public schools, parents now getting very, very invested in, in what's happening. And of course, the political left has been outraged. And, you know, Moms for Liberty is a terrorist organization. And, and these people can't be trusted. And you have to treat them as domestic terrorists, which was the, the quasi statement there from, from the DOJ. This was because they had given their kids to the schools, believing that the system worked, and then they learned after a great number of years, maybe this didn't work. Does college not work anymore? I don't think colleges work as institutions anymore. That's not to say every college. I don't think, I think higher ed has a serious problem. That's not to say a particular student at a particular college can't have a good experience. My guess is that a significant number of them, maybe even a majority do, but that doesn't really speak to what these entities are as institutions. I think if you're going to get a good education and you're going to emerge unscathed, it's despite university administrations, not because of them. And that's the way I would point it out. You know, we have a certain strength as a country, a certain strength of our people and a certain strength of our students that most of which can withstand what's happening in higher ed, but that doesn't mean higher ed isn't broken. It is broken. I don't disagree. Um, but the, 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 the place where we're discussing it now uh, has to deal with the conversation of anti-Semitism. Uh, I, so, so you're Jewish, I'm Jewish, and you have been uh, on, on lists of, of influential uh, Jews in, in, in media and, and, in, and in academia. I uh, once actually read one of those lists. That's as close <laughs> as I've ever gotten to being on, on, on one of those lists. Uh, the, the number of people that I have spoken to since the attack on Israel and the murder of 1400 by the terrorist group Hamas um, they, the Jews that I have spoken to are very shaken, beyond shaken. I've never seen this in, in, in my life. And many of them are surprised that the people that they 
collaborate with, coordinate with the the liberals and the leftists and the progressives that they've always been friends with and they fought for this and George Floyd was terrible and and my gosh, look at the, the, the oppression over here and we need Black Lives Matter over there. All of a sudden, these people are not with them and they are shocked and they are stunned. And there was this this video of this of this girl, the student uh, at, at Cal Berkeley, saying to one of the deans, "We're doing everything we can, and yet we're getting all this all this hate. Why why aren't you doing anything to help us?" And my immediate response was, "You didn't know that these liberals hated you." As I now pose the question to you. How much of an eye opener is this to Jews across America, maybe across the diaspora, that their liberalism will not save them from the anti-Semitism that is really baked in to today's progressivism? Yeah, I think this is a uh, an eye opener for a lot of left-leaning liberal progressive Jews who thought that the progressive movement was their friend. And as we've known through history, the Marxist movement is, is not the Jews' friend. Okay? It might you know, use them as cover from time to time, but it's not our friend. And so they have really, I know a lot of people, and, and I've seen this and I've heard this, a lot of people are shocked that the anti-Semitism is coming for the left because they've been spoon-fed by the media and by their universities and by you know, the newspapers that, you know, Anti-Semitism is a MAGA thing. Anti-Semitism is people running around in Chicago at night attacking Jesse Smollett with a red hat on. I mean, they've been fed a a fantasy. Uh, That's not to say there isn't anti-Semitism on the right. Certainly there is. But the right doesn't control the institutions in in our country. The left controls the institutions. And so the progressive um, anti-Semitism, the progressive embrace of people who want to destroy half the Jewish population in the world, meaning the Jewish population in Israel, who want to destroy that population in the historic homeland of the Jewish people, they are the real threat. That's not to say, again, that there aren't isolated incidents where there have been crimes and murders committed by people on the far right. But as an institutional matter, as a societal matter in the United States of America, the left is far more dangerous. Talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. This was the the tweet that that made me reach out. For the nine millionth time, uh, you write, sir, academia, particularly in the humanities and social sciences, is completely broken. It has been taken over by radicals more extreme than you can imagine. It cannot be reformed internally. And this was in response to a tweet from Guy Benson, who has been doing a very good job of putting things out there. He's over there at Fox News and Town Hall regarding Northwestern University, in this case, their Asian alumni that is saying that that Israel is responsible for what has happened and Hamas, and you hear this in so many ways uh, from so many of these leftist groups, it is Hamas that is nothing more than a resistance fighting uh, the, the, the occupation. This is one heck of a statement from you, sir. It cannot be reformed internally. So how is it reformed? You know, and, and that's a statement I've made. Maybe it's not the nine millionth time, but maybe the eighth millionth time. I've been saying that for years. I've been saying it in writing. I've probably said it on your show before that these departments, the Asian Studies Department, um, the English Department in a lot of places, the Political Science Department, 
have been completely taken over by people who have a worldview that is hostile to Israel, that's frankly hostile to the United States. And that's what you get when you have a group of professors at Northwestern, apparently, in the Asian Studies Department, signing a letter basically saying, hey, Hamas is just doing what you would expect them to do. They're just a political movement. They're just a militant group. They are nothing, you know, uh, out of the ordinary. You're to blame. You, the victim, is to blame because you're Jewish in the historical Jewish homeland, which had a Jewish presence before there even was an Islam, before the region was taken over in Muslim conquest, that you are the problem. You, so this is victim shaming and victim blaming that doesn't really take place with anybody else except when progressive talks progressives talk about Jews. Now let's let's look at a couple other things uh, that that we've got here. So this was uh one of your pieces of course over at legalinsurrection.com. Almost this entire uh, Ali Baptist hospital story is a massive lie started by Hamas amplified by the Western media. And then you have this from Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib. Continue to watch people think it's okay to bomb a hospital where children. You know what's so hard sometimes is watching those videos and, and the people telling the kids don't cry and like let them cry. And they're shaking and somebody, you know this, they keep telling them not to cry in Arabic. They, do, they can cry, I can cry, we all can cry. If we're not crying, Something is wrong. But what she was doing was lying because Israel did not hit a hospital with a rocket. It was a misfire from Hamas. We even have audio recordings and we haven't even seen a destroyed hospital yet. We've seen a destroyed parking lot or or an attacked parking lot for sure. And soon after she gives that speech, then you see the uh, the occupation of the Cannon office building, right? The, the, the congressional office building. You see vandalism. You see arrest by the police when they attacked police. And then you hear the chanting of from the river to the sea Palestine will be free which is a call to genocide on the streets of of Washington Uh, these lies these anti-Israel purposeful anti-Israel lies uh, these anti-Israel sentiments indeed get pushed from the highest levels which would make uh, those people in academia feel very very comfortable Except we have seen now Harvard University, people have pulled funding and have quit the board. University of Pennsylvania, you have John Huntsman, the former ambassador to China, saying we're no longer going to fund. People have said we are done here. Job offers have been uh, taken back. Are you surprised that there has been such a forceful response to the clear lack of moral clarity and vision by these universities and others? Um. I'm not sure uh, that this pushback is going to sustain itself. I mean, I've seen a lot of movements over the years of alumni saying, I'm not going to donate anymore, et cetera, et cetera. And the universities kind of ride it out. So I don't know whether this will be sustained. Universities have extremely sophisticated development departments. They are used to handling controversies. They are used to massaging alumni to work them around. So the pitches you're probably hearing from university development departments right now to alumni who are complaining is 
what can you do to help us be better? Here's a fund we're going to set up to help us be better. So they will turn this around into a fundraising pitch, as strange as that sounds. I've seen this. This is how good they are. Uh, and so they will be soliciting alumni to start funding things that will help turn the campus around. Um, they will you know, do that sort of stuff. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think outside pressure withholding funding probably helps. But let's face it, uh, Harvard and UPenn have such huge endowments that if they never got another penny from alumni, they would be just fine. They are, uh, Harvard's I think is up in the $50 billion range. Might be slightly off on that, but I think that's the range it's in. So these are, these are corporations run by ideologues who are mostly immune to the normal economic cycle. William well, Jacobson, uh, Cornell them. Law Professor, I appreciate you very much. I'm Tony Katz, and I will clearly say, uh, sir, as uh, um, we're, we're going to have to pick this conversation up again. I can't thank you enough. There is no vote for speaker. Maybe they'll give Patrick McHenry more powers. Maybe they're going to have to pick somebody new. But it's not going to be Jordan. That seems obvious now. So what now is going to make the party happy, the party faithful? You. This is Tony Katz today. Today.